Those with serious legal business to conduct enter the law court's building in the Queen Square Tower via a grey stone, stainless steel and glass foyer that evokes airport terminals rather than the Old Bailey. And just like Qantas passengers heading for the departure lounge, they're required to place their belongings on an X-ray scanner conveyor belt before shuffling through the metal detector gate. Security guards run narrow eyes over anyone who doesn't look like a lawyer or a business exec. At street level, there's little else to see. Nothing decorates the ground floor aside from half a dozen red leather seats. Not that anybody sits there. Reception is up on level 17, and the elevators are many and fast. A visitor won't be overwhelmed upon walking into courtroom 18D. It's about the size and has the ambience of those double-spaced classrooms that were all the rage in the open-plan schools of the 70s. Tiers of many empty shelves cover the bottom half of the beige walls, and apart from the clock and a couple of flat-screen TVs, there's not a lot to distract the eye from the judge's raised bench. Lawyers and their files are arrayed along two or three rows of parallel pine-top tables facing the judge, ready for business. A couple of court staffers perched at the side record the proceedings of the day. Those with evidence to present and those with a stake in the proceedings are there as well. The expert witnesses and the adversarial parties. For a seasoned muso like Colin Hay, this room must have seemed about as far from rock and roll as you can get. The one-time pop star would be fronting Justice Peter Jacobson as the fifth respondent in the matter of larrikin music versus EMI songs. There was a microphone before him, but Hay wasn't about to sing. Instead, he would sit and listen as two teams of lawyers backed by their respective forensic musicologists tore apart his biggest hit single. On the surface, the case was simple. Had Down Under incorporated part of the Australian classic children's song Kookaburra Sits in the Old Gum Tree. Penned more than 70 years ago by Aussie teacher Marion Sinclair without permission of its owner. But finding an answer to this question would become a forensic inquiry to test even a modern-day Aristotle. Here in courtroom 18D, traditional principles of ownership would be challenged by the ethics of art and creativity. Consequences would carry outside the courtroom and into the garrets of humble songwriters as well as the boardrooms of the global music business. The judicial findings would influence a storm of protest, a verbal lynching of legal and corporate entities, and most poignantly, what seems to be the final scene of a tragedy. One brief snatch of melody had helped take a band from Melbourne corner pubs to huge overseas arenas. In the years following, a flute refrain and the song in which it featured became an enduring motif of a nation's culture. That little riff may also in the end have helped kill its creator, Greg Ham. 1. Underground If Melbourne has a heart, it's round and it's called the MCG. Every weekend from late March to the end of September, no matter the weather, the tribes of this city converge on the Melbourne cricket ground for their winter football rituals. On a good day, they'll pour through the gates in their tens of thousands. They'll come in summer, too, of course, to bake semi-naked in ferocious heat as batsmen, bowlers, fieldsmen and umpires go through their procedural motions on the paddock. For the benefit of the uninitiated, this piece of real estate is the biggest cricket stadium in the world. 
as well as the Cathedral of Aussie Rules Football. Punters arrive by bus, tram and train. Many walk from neighbouring inner suburbs. Coming from the east or the south, it's a fair bet you'll travel along the appropriately named Punt Road, the boundary between multi-ethnic small business Richmond and the cut-grass urban woodland expanse that surrounds the MCG. Whether you're on the way to the match or heading home after the final siren, chances are one time or another you'll pop into the closest watering hole to the ground itself, the Cricketers' Arms Hotel, opposite Yarra Park. Built during Queen Victoria's reign, the Cricketers' facade is topped, not surprisingly, by an emblem featuring bats, a ball and stumps, set beneath a miniature portico above a second-storey window. But only the seagulls would notice this sporting nod to the neoclassical.